1: All right, welcome to another episode of the TC Live podcast on the Tennis Podcast Network. Mitch Michaels here hosting as always. Thank you for listening. We have another great episode today. Hope you've enjoyed the catalog of our chats with some of the players on the ATP and WTA tour. Francis Tiafoe, Jennifer Brady, Mackenzie McDonald, all in this Miami Open tournament that we're going to discuss today. But today we have a very special episode talking Miami Open 2021 with tennis broadcaster, Emmy Award winner. He's won. He's ran marathons. He's done it all. Ted Robinson, thanks for joining the show.
0: Well, Mitch, it's nice to be with you in person in our beautiful new home that we're also proud of uh, here at Tennis Channel. And I've got to say, it's two things. One, it's phenomenal to be here. Having I was trying to think about this uh, coming in here today to be with you. I think 2007 was my first year on with TC. So having not been from the beginning, but
1: close, close enough. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's
0: an immense amount of pride to have this Miami Open be the beginning of a new era in this beautiful new complex. And you've done a great job with this with the player news. Thank you. To Thank hear the players talk is has been
1: terrific. I was actually just a little surprised. I thought she'd be rocking the Pac-12 sweatshirt today <laughs> with how good they've done in March Madness and well, proving uh, people wrong. They've
0: done okay the Miami Open, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah
1: that's, that's a good point. Yeah. Before we get into that, I do want to mention, this is the second time we've done this. We did it last year, pre-pandemic, fresh off of uh, that Australian Open that Djokovic beat team in the final didn't get a chance to say then, you know, I'm I'm not super young anymore, but you've got some of um, some of my favorite tennis matches growing up for Ted Robinson matches. I was thinking the other day, you know, Federer winning his first RG, uh, that NBC broadcast that you had there was great. But the one that I wanted to bring up was uh, Sanford's Agassi, that quarterfinal matchup. Because wow. at that point in my life, I was, you know, not quite into the teenage years about there. But that was when I remember start to finish just being glued to the television set and you know, now that we're getting fans back and we're starting to get past this pandemic, I think about moments like that where, you know, you take for granted the atmosphere and how it can make a good match, a great match, even better.
0: The best match I ever called at the U.S. Open, 22 years of U.S. Open as a kind of a prominent voice for USA Network before Tennis Channel was ever a part of it. I uh, it's really what got me into tennis and hooked me into tennis and gave me some some legs, perhaps, and some credibility. So in all those years, and all those matches, and calling some of Connors in 91, the connors Harhouse match, uh, calling Chrissy's last match when she lost to Lori McNeil at the Open. I mean, great moments through the years, but that's the best match. And yeah. it was a f- just, you know, now you think back 20 years, it was just a few nights before 9-11. Wow. And it was the quarterfinals. Yeah. Uh, the following Tuesday was 9-11. Of course, so that night, Arthur Ashe Stadium was packed to the rafters, 23,000. It was still the early years of Ashe when most of us were wondering, how are they ever going to sell those seats way (laughs) up there? And boy, were we wrong because they have. And that was one of the first times you really felt it. But the moment, Mitch, that was everything. That was a match where Andre Agassi did not drop his serve and (laughs) lost the match.
1: No four four tiebreak sets.
0: Andre made, and I, I don't any longer recall the exact number, but he made an insanely low number of unforced errors in this match. But I think half of them that he made were in the tiebreaks. Yeah, and Pete won three tiebreaks to one. But the moment was when they came out to play the fourth set tiebreak, and the fans in New York know what's going on, so they understood if Pete wins this tiebreak, there is the match is over. The fans gave the two of them a standing ovation. Twenty three thousand in Ash Stadium, standing before wow. the tiebreak started. I'm tingling now, just remembering uh-huh. it. It was the and again, I, the Connors ninety one, was the greatest two week run you'll ever see. <laughs> that was extraordinary. This was the single best moment I ever witnessed at the U.S. Open.
1: What I remember about that and and looking back at the match and catching up on the highlights last night was, and I know this has happened before as a broadcaster, but it stuck with me as a kid. Like you match point happens Pete wins and you just laid out like there was really nothing to really say at the moment it was listen to the cheers listen to the crowd just take in this moment and let it breathe and no that was I'll be honest that was one of the moments where I'm like you know we can be critical of broadcasters but I'm like all right I'm a Ted Robinson guy this is good (laughs) well thank you and look that's the the challenge that we're facing right now is that
0: uh, in fact I was talking with Jim Courier about this the other day because Jim Called the Australian Open for Australia TV, and he was told. He said during the coverage uh, that window in the middle of the AO when the fans were not allowed in, that mm-hmm. the Australian television execs said, "Hey, you need to talk more. <laughs> you need yeah. because there was no atmosphere, there was no crowd, there was right. no aura." And and Jim was saying it to me, and we were laughing. saying, those are words we never hear in this <laughs> talk business more, yeah. in tennis. No one ever yeah. says talk more. So um, that was the moment at the end of that match where the crowd told you everything. There was nothing more that any of us needed to say.
1: Well, it was a great iconic match. And as we segue into the 2021 Miami open, starting to kind of pick up the pieces and, and bring back what we were used to as a tennis tour. I'm glad you mentioned Jim Courier because I will say that there was a moment with you guys earlier this week, as we record this, the uh, possible incident with McDonald that I thought you guys handled it. Great. It was one of those moments where, I mean, Jim, Jim's awesome. He's, He's just a standout exemplary guy in this business. But there was a tough incident with Pospisil where he kind of flipped out and he you know, he, he said some things he regretted about some stuff that happened off the court. And like a lot of things, as a fan, when I'm watching, I want to hear what our analysts have to say to break it down. I thought you guys handled it well. It was, look, he's a great guy. He has a lot going on. The moment just got too big for him. And, and Pospisil expressed as much when he apologized afterwards. But in the moment, I know it probably had to be tough and different and if you could just take us through how you interpreted it and how you kind of prepared your thoughts for that on camera afterwards.
0: Yeah, thank you, uh, Mitch. That the, the, the difficulty in that moment was that we are in Santa Monica <laughs> calling right. the match off. So we're seeing everything everybody else is seeing. Um, it's different when you're there. Uh, Jim and I had the Im- amazingly emotional moment at three in the morning a few years back in Washington, D.C. when Andy Murray... Uh, beat Radu Albot in this long grinding match, and sat down in the chair and sobbed, openly sobbed. Yeah, and we were there, and that's different because you could just you just have more of a of a presence when you have more of a presence. You're tuned, you in. Yeah. Presence. You're tuned yeah. in, right? So, I and I and I've talked to Andy Murray. I, I, he he was incredibly gracious. I've talked to him about this after the fact, and he was very complimentary of the way Jim and I handled that because I had the sense that this was. Him realizing I just won this match, but I can't keep going on like this. And it was a sense I had, and you can't, you can't declare it openly, but I inf- implied, and it turned out to be the case. That's really what it was. Um, so now to the Pospisil moment, you know. Thankfully, we know the backstory. We understood, you know, his work on the behalf of the PTPA we also know enough about him and know that he's a good guy there's this is for sure and the the thing I could sense even though we were sitting here in Santa Monica watching I could sense the previous game that he was losing it and he didn't play the last two points on I think it was McDonald's service game I believe but anyway you could tell something was wrong and I don't know if it's an injury if it's the heat you know those are all the things you don't know suddenly he snaps and thankfully the chair umpire was brilliant the chair umpire Great. Was okay. great because he did exactly what we were saying. What everybody watching? What's happened to you? This isn't you. He knew this wasn't Pasposil, uh-huh. and Pasposil then told the world exactly what had happened, which none of us knew. We didn't know he, the meeting the day before and all of the emotions that carried over from that. So um, I, the overall lesson as a broadcaster, Mitch, you learn is we're not we're not doctors, and we're not we don't have crystal balls in front of us. So when players act or react. of the time, we don't know. We don't know. We don't know if it's a medical issue, if it's an off-court issue, if it's something in their life. I mean, this is all part of tennis. And so thankfully, in the moment, Pospisil told us all this was why.
1: Yeah, I think there's a lesson in that, not necessarily just strictly with broadcasting, that if you just take your time, you know, you kind of assess the situation, don't just say anything rash, which Pospisil, I think he learned from that and he understood in the Twitter apology that... These are tense times for a lot of people, and uh, unfortunately, it was just a bad moment and a bad time, but the result of that match was, as you said at the beginning, another Pac-12 guy making an advance in this tournament in Mackie McDonald. So I'll segue into the Miami Open right now because I think it's a good kind of place to start. The men's side of this tournament has been unfortunately affected by the number of top players that have pulled out or decided not to play. No Federer, no Djokovic, Nadal, or team, but there is opportunity. There is opportunity for a top seed in Medvedev and Zverev and Sitsapas. As you look at this, as you look at this opportunity, Ted, what are some of the signs you're looking for these players that, you know, maybe that they're in it to seize the moment? Because there have been tournaments where there have been guys that haven't been, you know, there hasn't been a full field, and players just kind of go through the motions and almost kind of, you know, don't dig in. So what are you looking for in these early rounds? So first name
0: I'd start with is Dennis Kudla. Dennis
1: Kudla, heck of a win yesterday. Yeah, and Dennis Kudla's ranked
0: 118 at the entry moment for Miami. He was ranked 118 in any normal year. He has no shot to make the main draw. He's going to have to play Qualies. He was the last direct in. That's this year. All right. So this yep. year the field is a little thinner on the men's side. So a Dennis Kudla gets in. Now he wins around. Suddenly he's making a little extra prize money. He's getting points, which are probably very important for him at 118. Can you bust back to 100 inside the top 100? For every player, generally top player, that for whatever the multitude of reasons we all know about, decides, I'm not going to play Miami this year. For every one of those players, there's at least 10 Dennis Kudlas. Yeah. And at least 10 Marcos Girones and Tommy Pauls. Um, And as we saw in Australia, Karatsev. Well, who, will, who will <laughs> yeah. who will run as fast as they can to play this event, and that's what you have to focus on. You have to, to me, you have to focus on. This is incredible for these people. So, if somebody who is, you know, had success and perhaps a little more comfortable, and says, "Yeah, less prize money or traveling to Miami from another continent for two weeks to bubble up," I'm not going to do that right now. Okay, that's their choice. Yeah, that's fine, but. Two things I would say. One is it's the opportunities for so many others. And two is keep those thoughts to yourself. And that's <laughs> been disturbing to me to hear I think some tone deaf comments from some players about the prize money situations, et cetera. Nothing has been fair for anybody in life in the last year. So if mm. that's what way you feel, fine. I, I would suggest that keeping that to yourself is a good thing right now.
1: I agree with that. And a couple of things I'd just like to add. The seating is a big a big part of this we know the rankings is a hot button issue how can players move up players that you know don't lose points and haven't really played but you have an opportunity here with players out Rublev's a four seed like he has a quarter you know he has a whole side to himself Mm -hmm. that's an opportunity that he hasn't you know really known before that you can take advantage of and the other thing is you mentioned guys like Kudla guys that have the opportunity to make a name for themselves make some money get the ranking points how about some of the veterans that have struggled or trying to get back in, in playing shape, whether it's the Isners or the Chillish who we saw yesterday, who has known success. I think Nisha Corey's done a great job of this in the last few weeks of playing, taking advantage of the fact that he can get match tough and and actually rack up some wins and build his confidence.
0: Yeah. And and it's funny as you were saying those names, Mitch, I was thinking Sam query and Sam lost Sam lost to Randy Lou first round, but that's Mm -hmm. the kind of player exactly that you're Mm -hmm. talking about that to me. All right. It's been a little bit of a dry spell, but now I can run some wins off. You know, if you win three or four, you get good number of points. Again, you get a decent prize check and you jump up a little bit in the rankings. So those are absolutely, those are absolutely there and available. Um, You know, the ranking issue is the other one that's come to the forefront, the WTA. Mm -hmm. As we're speaking, it was yesterday that they made their announcement about revising the ranking system, and that's going to happen. And again, I just keep coming back to something I've tried to live my own life by since March 12th of last year, is that nothing's fair. Mm -hmm. Nothing is fair. So to expect utter, complete fairness, I think, is just wrong. Everybody's trying, I hope, and I think we have to trust, trying their best
1: Go to your happy price, Priceline. Ted Robinson here on the TC Live podcast. Uh, you mentioned his name, so I'm just going to skip ahead to him in my notes. But Karatsev, I mean, the biggest story on tour this year, maybe men or women, to me is him. The question that I'm sure you get asked a lot, and people in tennis get asked a lot, is where did this guy come yep. from, and how at age 27, can you have this breakthrough? No spring chicken by tennis age standards. Yeah, and
0: I know I, I was listening. In fact, I was listening to our TC live and I think it was John Wertheim the other day was saying, you know, he's been covering the sport a long time as well and he can't think of any comparable it's insane. scenario. I can't. I mean, in terms of that, we've seen the one-time wonders and I referenced on the air the other day. We saw Vladimir Volchkov sitting in the stands as a coach yeah, yeah. and he had the one uh-huh. semifinal at Wimbledon run. And of course, the name that no one remembers, Martin Verkirk, was playing pro club tennis in Germany from the Netherlands in 2003 makes the final at Roland Garros. He made the finals. No one had heard of him and no one's ever heard of him since. Nope. And he happened to be in that window just before Rafa. And Roger really, Roger in fact hadn't really started to play at Roland He had, he was playing, but he hadn't started to win yeah. yet at Roland Garros. But anyway, you start thinking about Karatsev like that, so is he going to be one of those people that we hear about once for two weeks or a month, and and never again, or is he going to be someone that can stick around? And that's what we're all looking for. I'm a, I'm anxious to call. I have not called a match of his yet, obviously, and I'm anxious to see him play here to, to get a little bit of my own measure on that question.
1: His power is scary. Uh, the fact that anybody can really hit Rublev off the court in the in that match in Dubai to follow up, as you said, the run at Australia. We've seen we've seen some. You know, guys make guys and girls make the semis of majors come out of nowhere, but usually there's that fallback to Earth moment. To follow that up winning Dubai and to already be seated seventeen in the Miami Open and a pretty favorable draw. He can get Schwartzman again. He's got Corda Fognini coming up, which could be tricky, but it looks like it could be him and Rubov in the quarters. And if you're on the call for that one, I would just be prepared to see <laughs> some tennis balls yeah. getting harmed. I would say he's already <laughs> yeah. he's already become that player. Karazzo was talking about. That
0: I'm, I'm guessing most of the top players in the men's draw were when the draw was coming out. Going, where's he? Where's <laughs> true? He? I don't want to be this. You know, yeah. we joke about this now, although the players don't joke. But Kenepi on the women's side is that way, right? Yeah, players. players uh, apparently. Uh, Darren Cahill admitted. Simona Halep checks the draws out. Where's Kenepi? Because they understand the any given day theory that mm-hmm. on any given day this player can be lights out. Karatsev is right
1: there. I uh, I agree with you completely. I heard, I think it was Nick Monroe say he thinks top ten's not out of the question this Ooh. year, which is, wow. I mean, it's yeah. crazy. And it's possible because he's already rising up the ranks. That match that he might have in the second round, just someone I wanted to mention. I've already invested a lot of stock in Sebastian Corda. He's going to be the, <laughs> I'm pushing my chips in on that kid. I love the way he plays. He's got some tough matches coming up, but already winning a main draw match at Miami, 20 years old. I like what I see out of this kid, as I'm sure you do too. And for me, it's more of the all-encompassing game. He doesn't really have a lot of weaknesses out there, and I think at his age and his development, that's a pretty big advantage over the field.
0: Yeah, it's he's ramping up right now, and he's ramping up on a steep curve, which is why I think a lot of people, yourself... Uh, uh, I asked Jim Courier the other day on air this question. We showed the top ten American men, and right now we have depth with the American men in the top 100. We don't have the height right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, we don't. I think John is 20. John Isner's in the 20s right now, and he's our highest ranked American male. So my question was this date next year, who's going to be the highest ranked American male? And I know there's a lot like yourself that are thinking that could be Seb Coe. Could yeah. And and I'm sitting here, and I'm more in the mindset, and this is just obviously these are all educated
1: guesses. Uh, that a Taylor Fritz right I would agree with you on that one I don't think Corda's quite at the yeah. point where next year he'll be the top American I think Fritz when we saw it today he beat Giron pretty handily and and it's kind of had some breakthroughs uh Doha beating Shapovalov in a match that that's, the old Fritz probably doesn't win after he gets broken to serve for the match.
0: See, to me, that's why I'm, that's where I'm going with this. Yeah. Taylor's climbing a ladder, mm-hmm. and he's climbed some steps already. He's And he's admitted this. I think it was on your pod here, Mitch, where he talked about You know, he's pretty much conquered the 250s, <laughs> and he's done okay in the 500s. But his goal for this year was, saying, I need to do it in the Masters and the Majors. And he's one run away. Yeah. You know, one—I mean—that's obviously a big thing to get, but one run in a Miami Open or a major from being well inside the top twenty, and that makes you the top-ranked American man or Riley Opelka. I'm, I'm thinking, this is Someone a year further where along. one yeah. of those two yeah. where Seb Korda would be—you'd be asking him to skip those steps.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's true. I mean, you—you you, there is that pattern of coming up the rankings, breaking into like say the top fifty, but then there's that sophomore slump, I'd compare it to maybe baseball pitchers that now they've seen you in the lineup where you have to defend points all of a sudden. Uh, Fritz, if Fritz goes on the run that we think he's capable of, I would look at that win over Shapovalov, the same guy that beat him at the U.S. Open in a a pretty brutal loss that he kind of conquered some demons there. Uh, That said, I'm excited. It's, It's similar, I think, to how women's tennis outside of the dominance of Serena and Venus has been, where the women depth started to come along before players really broke through.
0: Yeah. That's a great call. Uh, That is um, the story to me of this Miami open right now is the depth of the women's Mm. game, which, and when I started doing tennis a million years ago, there was no depth. And the first couple of rounds of major tournaments were really not very much fun because the Steffies and Monica's and Mm. Jennifer's and, uh, Martina and Chrissy was still playing near the end of her run would just steamroll.
1: So you were in, you were involved in tennis when Martina and Chrissy literally played in like every final.
0: I was they, well, they they, <laughs> they started where you were starting. Yeah, to get no, they in were not. Yet. They they it was past the finals okay. points for okay. them. Uh, as I said it was '89, I believe. I called Chrissy's last match when she lost to Lori McNeil at the Open. Ooh, yeah, and Martina played into the early '90s, uh, and she had the one. The one late final at Wimbledon, but, yeah. but their they were,
1: stranglehold on the game is yeah. something that's still underrated and underappreciated. Yes. Yeah, their stranglehold had
0: been loosened because when I yeah. started, Steffi was there, Monica oh. was coming, Jennifer came, and so mm-hmm. that's. But my point was the the early rounds of majors were, and I was this was U.S. Open every year, and it would be difficult because we. would You'll have a primetime match every night. You'd have a, a WTA match and an ATP match, and the WTA match would be Steffi beating somebody one in love in 30, literally 37 minutes. Oh, or then Monica would do the same the next night until you got to the quarters, and then things had a chance to get a little more competitive. But yeah. uh, th- those days are long gone is what I'm saying. Great credit to the WTA. The depth, you have second-round matches that are terrific right now. Uh, and I'm fascinated because she lost here already but what you just talked about, the phenomenon, the baseball phenomenon is where Coco Goff is to me right now. Yeah. Now suddenly there's first of all, there's tape on her.
1: There there's is a scouting report. There is. And
0: now she's got a seed number next to her. So there's a little bit of, I think a little bit of a target on her back.
1: When something like that happens, when there's a story and you know there's some drama with it. Again, like we said, I like to listen to some of the the analysts and, and we've got such a great roster now. Like it's been crazy. Uh, Andy Roddick talked about it last night on TC Live and he said you know she's making a lot of her errors in the middle of the court, and tactically, she kind of has this, kind of has this like um, I don't want to say identity crisis, but she kind of changes up how she plays within matches. And I've noticed that a little bit too. It was Nico Pereira who said on this podcast that she plays better when she's behind, and, it, and there's something mentally there. Like no one's doubting that she's a fighter. That she when she's down, and she's not out. She's going to make you finish that match. But Playing with, as you said, pressure, whether it's in a match or having a seed by your name now. I mean, her ups and down this year, she had a great run at Adelaide after a disappointing Australian Open. Still just 17. We have to keep pumping the brakes on that. But the consistency factor, it's not just a switch that you can flip. It's going to be a gradual process for her.
0: See, and I, the, those words that Andy Roddick said, Relaying those, Mitch, that's fascinating to yeah. me because I'm I love hearing it. And Nico, yeah. these are people who play; exactly. so they get yeah. it. And so, in in our world, those that, uh, that talk about it for a living and watch it intently, to me, I I've always said the measure, and and I've seen this in multiple sports, is when you make the transition into I'm supposed to win.
1: That was the Federer phrase with and, the Stan. It's like now yeah. you're now okay. Now you're yeah. in the top ten. Now, now you're, you're supposed, supposed to win. you're supposed to yeah. win. And
0: that's what I. That's why I made the point. Early this week, about to me, it was significant that Coco Goff was a seed here. It's the first major event. It's not a major of the four majors, but it's the right. next best thing. And it's the first time she's been a seed in one of these events. And that's significant to me because suddenly you take the court against Sevastova, who's a veteran. She hasn't been playing great lately, but she has been
1: accomplished. To make you work, for and, sure.
0: Yeah, she's been accomplished. She knows what she's doing out there. <laughs> yeah. And you're supposed to win. That's a whole different thing. And so this is part of the maybe this is the steps of the ladder for Coco that, you know, maybe she's not going to be able to leap five steps up the ladder at once. She's going to have to take them one at a time.
1: It speaks to just the depth of the game too, that even, if, even when you get a seed, there are tricky matchups right from the get go. Like you said, it, it, that didn't really exist 20, 30 years ago. And now the draw is one thing that you I think you have to pay more attention to. Uh, another player I wanted to pay attention to. She won a tough matchup yesterday is still the world. Number one Ash Barty. I know the rankings are, are a little, uh, off considering what Naomi Osaka has done, but Barty's number one top seed. First time she left Australia in about a year, so she's really getting back to that and had a grind. Was down 5-2 in the third set, came back and won. It was great that she still has that fight, that spirit to will herself across the line, but there is going to be a a rust period of her trying to get back to getting match tough. When she went on her run, Ted, one Miami, one RG made deep runs. She was playing all the time. She was fit. She had a lot of match toughness and match strength. I think it could be a bit before she gets that back and gets back to form.
0: Yeah. And uh, we called that one yesterday on tennis channel. I was with Lindsay and watching that was fascinating. Cause we were all curious, uh, you know, again, for all the reasons you pointed out with Barty and in the middle of that match, I know Lindsay pointed it out, and used Hawkeye to show that it felt like Barney lost her aggression. Mm. She got passive. She started playing deeper in the court. The slice wasn't the slice backhand, which we know she can use as a quote weapon, was not. And then her forehand was all over the place. You know, she had I believe ended up forty unforced forehand errors. So she had had the steamroll in the first set where she ran off four or five games in a row. That was just shockingly easy and I don't know if that caused her to think the second set would be equally easy yeah. but it clearly wasn't and then she had to stare down a match point and sadly uh, um, as we see so often Kuchova the player on match point serving just didn't was, and yeah just, just put, just put it right on a T tee, essentially yeah, 62 64 <laughs> something miles an hour <laughs> yeah. and, and you know the moment clearly got to her and Barty was able to fight through so now the measure is going to be to see that was not anywhere near Barty's best she won the match. Now, in her next round, does she come up and get her level up a notch?
1: Yeah, no one's really expecting just to come right back and start winning tournaments yeah. again. But these top players, you know, have standards for themselves. This is not. This isn't a journey journeyman type player, journeywoman type player, or someone on the outside of the main draw. This is a former. This is the current world number one and a major champion. So she definitely has expectations.
0: And it's great to see her. And look, this is an important time because the women are having this benefit, Mitch of two events in Charleston following Miami. So the women who lost all their playing opportunities in the fall are getting extra yeah. that the men don't get mm-hmm. here in the spring. So Ash Barty is playing in Charleston. She's cause she, I, we, we were assuming she's not going home until the fall. Now that she's left Australia, I mean to go home to do the 14 day quarantine <laughs> to turn around and come back. Oh, that doesn't seem to make sense to us. So the nice point for Ash Barty, if she had lost this first round match, she'd had two weeks with nothing until oh, wow. her next chance to play a match in Charleston.
1: More with Ted Robinson on the TC Live podcast. As we look at this women's draw, and you mentioned Ash Barty. We've, we've talked about other names. I think it's no secret that the women's side of things, it's a deeper field. It's a deeper tournament. More of the top players are buying in. Unfortunately, there's no Serena Williams. But as we look at some of the other names, the, some of the other factors, we're recording this just pull behind the curtain Naomi Osaka is playing right now so she did win a first set a first tight match but she's the top player in the world she comes in with you know all the momentum of another Grand Slam championship but hasn't had success here so Ted my question is do you think she is the favorite to kind of go through and and win this tournament or do you see someone else lurking as maybe more dangerous for the time being
0: yeah after watching her Semi, or watching the match, the semi with Serena in Australia. I don't know how you can't say on a hard court right now that Osaka is, has established herself as the player. Um, now, I sat, thankfully, at the U.S. Open last fall. I sat in the third row behind the baseline to watch her semifinal with Jen Brady, and Jen Brady stood swing for swing with her. It was as fine a match as I've seen um, in tennis in a long time. And great credit to Jen Brady. And it was, it was basically the match where, okay, one blink is going to settle us, And Jen blinked in midway through the third set, and Osaka wins. The history thing for her is a fascinating thing because obviously she hadn't played all that much anyway and doesn't have a long-running history here of saying, okay, she's been here 12 times and hasn't won it. Whereas to me, the stunning fact I referenced on our air the other day that no one really talks about, you know who's never won this event? Rafa. The, oh,
1: Yeah. Rafa. That's Five right. 5
0: times he's been the runner up. And everyone's got in, him once, you know, right? Novak's won it 6 yeah. times and Rogers won it a bunch and Andy wow. Murray's won it a few times. Rafa has never. Wow. And given Miami given the incredible passion <laughs> of of for tennis from Latino South American fans, in fact the one of the best matches for atmosphere I've ever called was in Miami in Key Biscayne about 10 years ago. And I'm gonna guess it was a quarterfinal, Rafa against Del Potro.
1: Okay, stadium, yeah, I remember that one. The stadium was it was, Davis <laughs> it was like a Davis Cup match, like you World said, yeah. Cup
0: to the max. Half the stadium, Spain; half the stadium, Argentina. It was phenomenal. It was a great, great atmosphere. And it, but it rammed home. This is why the Miami Open thrives. The players from Latin countries, South American countries. The fan base in South Florida mm-hmm. is so strong.
1: It really is. The uh, the Osaka runs, like we mentioned, she's never made the quarterfinals, but has only played this event really three times, four times, I think. And there's been some, some issues with her. You know, her ascent really didn't happen until 2018 after she won Indian Wells. And even then, I think she had to play, I Fidolina in like the second round right after that. So it'll, it'll happen for her here. Uh, I just, the only thing with Osaka is she's somebody that has got, maybe already got her sights on bigger and better things. So with all the Grand Slam success she had, is she going to prioritize this? And she's already at the point of her advanced career where she's still only in her early 20s, but exactly. you know, all those Grand Slam titles. Well,
0: you know, we talked about this, Mitch, on the air with Halep, because Halep has said that. She's pretty been fairly candid saying, yeah. my my goal now are majors. Those
1: was her 400th win the other day. Yes, I think. 400th yeah. match win, uh, but I'm saying this is yeah. a, I ma-
0: I mean, this isn't one of the four majors, mm-hmm. but it's the next, you know, this and Indian Wells and uh, Madrid. and I mean, these are the next best things. And so these are huge events to win. I, I'm of the mindset. And again, I watched at home like everybody else did. But to me, the Osaka Serena match in Australia, that I, I that look felt at that, big. That, that felt like a changing me, of that, the guard. That like, absolutely yeah. was. I, I think that may have had something to do. And I'm just mm-hmm. guessing here. I have no way to, other than guess to Serena deciding not to play Ooh. here because to me on a hard court, Serena had so stood in against Sabalenka and and taken every blow Sabalenka could throw at her and Mm -hmm. answered it. And Serena Mm -hmm. won. And she was in terrific shape and Osaka just was way better than her. And that to me, if I'm in Serena's chair, I'm thinking that's that's really unsettling because I don't think I can beat her here now. Clay and grass is a different story. But the hard court, Osaka to me has established herself as a level above everybody.
1: With all due respect to Halep and and Kennan, who had the appendectomy, who's coming back to play as well, uh, and Barty, who we mentioned, is uh, still going through getting back into tennis shape. Osaka being the favorite, I would put Brady in the mix as being a favorite, and I would also, the other player that's starting to finally get back to recognition is Garbini Muguruza, because what she's been doing consistency-wise, also the player that had match points against Osaka in the Australian Open, those would probably be the three I would look at as, you know, who I think is odds-on to win. Osaka, for sure, for the things you mentioned, being the apex player on this surface. But you can't sleep on Jen Brady and, and Garbini no. anymore.
0: Brady, for the reasons I yeah. told you about the U.S. Open match against Osaka. And Muguruza is a great call, Mitch, because, you know, we saw her in Australia uh, 14 months ago. She was clearly a happier player. Having been back with Conchita Martinez, you could just see she was happier. Everything about her was more joyful and, you know, she played one, you know, so much she played it, but Kennan played five straight points that were just Hall of Fame. Five Hall of Fame points in a row, early mm. third set of the final, when you think Garbina has the edge, and suddenly Kennan wins her major. Um, and Garbina's been playing terrifically since. So, yes, I would say that's another great call. And, again, just the fact that it took us this long to talk <laughs> about her is a great call about the depth for the women.
1: Yeah, we're going to have to also have, like, a. I think at some point – a bigger discussion on mentality and you know positive thinking because it's not just garbini like you mentioned in a better mind state vika azarenka who mm-hmm. has gone public with it she said she had to get to a better frame of mind and there's been a positive correlation no other way around it for getting in the right headspace to having success
0: no no question i mean this look it's funny because we were <laughs> in the match where barty ended up winning in the first round or second round excuse me her first match um you know Lindsay just made the point, hey, this is going to be between the ears in the third set. And it's just a point-blank, one-sentence way of saying what we all talk about. So much of this sport is in that way. And so there's two examples, Muguruza and Vika, that have been – I mean, Vika's return at post-pandemic to watch her play the way she did was so uplifting to the point where you know you thought in that final at the U.S. Open – you watch the beginning of the match thinking, she's going to do this. Yeah. She's going to do this. And Osaka, of course, spun it and, and beat her. But there was a moment, I called it, where I thought Vika had a really good shot.
1: You saw even in smaller tournaments, too, like this Fidelina match where her back tightened up. And she's still like, I'm going to find a way to win this match. And we'll deal with the stuff afterwards. Uh, last thing on the women before we just make some general thoughts on the men's and some predictions there. There's a big match that's going to be played today between two players that I'd like to see get into a better headspace, and Annie Smova and Sloan Stevens. Sloan finally got back to getting a win. Annie Smova, it's been a long grind with some personal stuff and getting back to playing. It's a good opportunity for both, this tournament, this match coming up. More depth in the women's game. These are two players that, you know, maybe were thought of a little higher of kind of taking a step back, but are still young enough to where they can make a move, potentially.
0: No, no, quite. Well, Sloan's a mystery, look, and and, and, and we've all had our – you know, during her injury, we all had a chance to get to know her when she worked with us a little bit at Tennis Channel. So, so there's me. a obviously a like and a want to see mm-hmm. her do well. Why it hasn't is just a mystery, mm-hmm. and I have no, no, yeah, no clue to offer anything intelligent on why. Um Samova, we understand that you know the issues with losing her dad. I mean, the last uh, summer that the tournament was played in San Jose, I you know I know enough about it. I was pretty clear she was having an anxiety attack during the match, during yeah. a changeover. It was really unsettling to see. And you're, you're concerned about her health now more than tennis. Um, the long COVID thing, or the long pandemic break, excuse me, then she gets COVID. Yeah. So all of these things piling on. And, and I think Anna Simova, to me, is a little bit of the expectation burden because she had the one terrific run at Roland Garros, makes the semis, Now she's in that top echelon. She's a seed and hasn't really done a lot around that. Mm -hmm. So perhaps we all collectively need to back off the expectations. And maybe this confluence of events is what's causing us. Just back down a little bit and let her win some matches and regain some steam.
1: It's a big one. It's an opportunity for sure. Uh, and the other name I almost forgot to mention of it just speaks to how deep this women's game is. It's crazy. Is Andrescu kind of trying to see where she's at too? And yeah. and you forget that? Oh, by the way, in twenty nineteen, she was the best hardcore player in the world. Absolutely, that's a great call, Mitch. And that's something we all hope.
0: Hey, we hope that that changes, and that she can find a way to not just come back but stay on the court. And that's the difference. Is coming back's one thing. Staying is is the other.
1: It's impressive, to say the least, the uh, resolve that a lot of these players have, especially when they've already reached the heights and, and just want to come back for more. A uh, couple more things before we wrap up here. Ted Robinson on the TC Live podcast, the uh, the men's game. We mentioned some of the factors in here. At the top, it is the land of opportunity. So if I throw those names out at you, Medvedev, Sitsipas, Zverev. Could be, could be an outsider, but of those top three, who do you like kind of rounding into form at this moment, going into a chance to win another, or in the case of Tsitsipas, yeah. a first Masters 1000 title. Well,
0: it's funny. You, you're, your last pod with Mackie McDonald was... I was so taken by Mackey's description of playing against Medvedev. It's better than I could have even thought. I was like, that's yeah. exactly what it was yeah. like. Yeah. And, and so now the only question in this event is that all, all reports are that the courts are playing a little grittier, a little slower than perhaps the hard, well, not perhaps, but the hard courts in Australia. So that's not to Medvedev's benefit. These are slight differences, but certainly not to his benefit. Um, I'm a guy that I, I really feel that Sitsipas ripped off scar tissue in Roland Garros last year with his comeback in the first round from a two-set-down deficit, losing close match after close match after close match. Finally, he wins one and then, boom, runs all the way to the semis and has played well. So I'm on the Sitsipas train. I have to acknowledge that Zverev has astounded me with all of the ugly stuff that swirled around him off court. has not affected him on court that we can tell. No, has not affected him one bit, and I'm not complimenting him I'm just astounded by
1: it <laughs> I think like Lindsay said between the ears that could be what determines this Medvedev is somebody that had one of the worst big matches maybe the worst big match of his life against Djokovic Djokovic is one of the best ever we all know that but Medvedev didn't play his match in the final to so just rebound with I'm gonna go to Marseille of tournament I've never played to win that it was like okay he can kind of play through a, a bad loss like that This Zverev side fascinating because he hadn't won a tournament he had played well but winning Acapulco I made this comment at a 500 level event he dropped to his back in like full celebration whether that was a monkey off of his back of finally winning again or you know maybe not being best of friends with Sitsipas, I think that might be safe to say so there there is some real competition from this next generation of who might be the next one up and and as a fan you just love to see it
0: yeah Uh, I was taken when he came back to coach Ketchmanovich if I'm saying his name right was a Nalbandian. And bandian right. made this comment about a month ago, and he basically said, you know, because Nalbandian started, I mean, excuse me, Nalbandian was playing when the big three were starting. Oh, yeah. He was still playing. And so he's seen them from the beginning. And he, his comment, and I'm going to paraphrase, was along the lines of everybody's waiting, saying, we, you know, who's going to win when the big three stops? Why wait? Somebody beat them now. <laughs> and we collectively, again, have said this for 15 years, right. and we've watched multiple waves of male players come through and wondering who is going to be the West. I remember when we were talking about this with Baghdadis and Gasquet <laughs> and players like that who have you know, now are well right. past their primes, we're into several waves of players. and now it's the next wave of 19s and 20 year olds we're seeing that are terrific players. To me, that's it. The time is now there is no more let's wait for the big three this door is wide open so team jump through first can Medvedev jump through at a major and do it I still think like I said I'm a I am a Sitsipas believer right. I think he has everything there he just has to do it yeah and and I'm I would say if you ask me if I had to put my mortgage on mm-hmm. on the next guy to
1: me I would say Sitsipas. I think Medvedev slight slight disagreement because yeah, I love Sitsipas's right. game I think Medvedev at this point is the most consistent he's pretty much shown that across the board but I I with you in the sense that Tsitsipas has it all can get to net his his Mm -hmm. forehand has really come along and if he's clicking on all cylinders he is I think the guy now can he do it consistently can he recover you know it's the same question you know you beat one of the big three you win a big match what about the next match all the guys that beat Rafa when they do beat him come into the next match and you know there isn't as much left in the tank but
0: I'll tell you what what Medvedev has that I'm still. Ho- I'm hoping Sitsipas has it, and I believe this firmly. I believe this. And my my son was a pretty good high school sports player and tried to play a little bit in college. And I used to say the same thing. He didn't have this. You to succeed at the highest level, you have to have a little bit of the blank you. A, it's like
1: a reference, and Sitsipas has that a little and, bit. And
0: Medvedev yeah. clearly has yeah. it. We've seen it, and is
1: re- the way he <laughs> reacts with crowds and whatever. And <laughs> yeah. you know,
0: obviously, being two sets down to Rafa at the U.S. Open final and pushing that to five yeah. was an extraordinary display of having that quality about him so that's the thing I know Medvedev has that I think Boss has it and I'm hoping that what he did at
1: Roland Garros last right. fall was the proof of it the all-time of that has to be Djokovic right he does not care Absolutely. if the crowd is Absolutely. Federer crowd Wimbledon, Wimbledon 19 that's that's all you need to know well, the most also, partisan crowd I think I can recall at Wimbledon for yeah. sure and then
0: Australia 20 yeah. against team when Novak tapped the ref, tapped the umpire's shoe, in the <laughs> yeah. umpire, and the umpire did. But anyway, the crowd was a hundred percent for mm-hmm. Team Novak. F- comes back to win, and then thanks the crowd for their support afterwards.
1: That was exactly That's your it. point. That was exactly Novak. I thought of the Delpo U.S. Open final a few years ago too, <laughs> yeah. when you were just saying that. Well, I agree, and I think the the last button up part of Zverev is you know it's the serve. If the serve doesn't let him down, he can sure. beat all these guys. But it, it lets him down quite a bit in big matches. So we'll see, uh, Ted. Pleasure talking to you as always. This was fun. I, I, you know, one of my favorite guests here on the TCI yeah. podcast. You no, know, I'm not supposed to say that, but uh, always a pleasure listening to you call matches. And uh, thanks for joining us here, Mitch.
0: I thank you. You doing? I used to say you're doing a terrific job with this. It's a great service for tennis fans. So thank you. And let's have a little wager. What will happen okay. next? I come back for another visit, or Nick Kyrgios plays a match outside of Australia. <laughs>
1: Wow. Wow! Well, putting me on the spot there, I'm trying to do the math in my head, like what the seasons are. Uh, I'm going to say no, I'm going to say no disrespect. I'm going to say Kyrios plays match. I'm, okay. a, I'm an optimistic. I hope, and you know something? I hope you're right. That <laughs> yeah. would be better for the sport. That would be great. Ted Robinson. Thanks for joining the, uh, TC live podcast. Appreciate everybody out there listening. You can catch every episode on tennis.com slash podcast. Our whole catalog is there more action more discussions more interviews with players coming up on the tennis podcast network so keep listening to the tc live podcast i'm mitch michaels for ted robinson thank you and we'll see you next week